Let's open our Bibles this evening to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. I don't aim to be long. I want to make three points. In the next couple of weeks, I would like to cover some myths regarding marriage. You know, my son asked me this past week, what was a myth? He's reading a book of myths. And I told him that a myth was a fairy tale. He understands what a fairy tale is. We've covered that subject before, but he didn't know what a myth was. A myth. We want to talk about some fairy tales that float around, old wives' fables, old wives' tales, whatever you want to call them, regarding the subject of marriage and put some of them to rest in the cemetery where they belong. We also want to deal with some recommendations from Scripture on how to handle marital conflict and how to continue maximizing our marriages beyond what we learned in the first five messages. But I'd like to read this evening to introduce myth number one from Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Genesis chapter 2, I want to read verses 18 through 25. We ought to read where the first marriage was instituted. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found in help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. This is the original marriage, this is the origin of marriage, by the divine ordination of God that man needed a companion, and so God created woman to be his companion. Let us pray and ask God's blessing to look at three points this evening that hopefully will make your marriages better. Father in heaven, God of all mercy, comfort, the source of all wisdom and understanding, bless us now, O Lord, through Jesus Christ and by thy Holy Spirit that we might fully understand marriage as you have ordained it, that we might guard against some popular errors, some tendencies of human nature to mess up, confuse, destroy, and complicate that institution you have ordained for the happiness of man. Heavenly Father, hear us now and bless us as we look into thy word in this most important practical relationship that we hold in this world. Bless us with knowledge and understanding that we might keep thy testimonies and please thee in our homes. To the praise of Jesus Christ our Savior, amen. I don't want to start with a myth this evening. I'd like to start with a rule. I'm going to go back and forth. That's not characteristic for me. But we'll run from a myth to a rule and back to myths from time to time. I just want to start, however, this evening with a recommendation or a rule for something to watch in your marriages. This rule is addressed to women. The next rule will be addressed to men, and it's the counterpart to this one. Women must guard against inordinate affection of their children. Women must guard against their children becoming too important to them. 
Now, to some women, to even say the words that children can become too important sounds like too strong of a statement. But I want to try to lay that to rest. When you show me a woman that has an excessive love for her children or shows excessive devotion, time, and attention to her children, that woman is saying a whole lot more than that she loves her children. When you see a woman wrapped up in her children, that woman is saying as clear as the hand that was on the wall of Belshazzar's feasting room. She is saying, I do not love my husband, and I do not know how to get along with a man. And I have missed my calling in this universe. It's obvious. A woman was never created to be a mother. A woman was created to be a wife. And a danger that women have is when there's marital conflict, they escape the conflict and the lack of fulfillment that it gives the woman by showering all their affection and emotion and attention and energies into their children where they can feel as if they're still accomplishing something valuable. It's a popular excuse or escape for women to throw all of their attention into their children because the relationship with their husband is breaking down. I read Genesis chapter 2, 18 through 25, to remind all of you from the beginning why God created the woman. God did not create the woman to be a mother. Motherhood is not the most noble characteristic of a woman's life. It is not the highest calling. It's a rather lowly one. It's a rather temporary one compared to marriage. God made the woman to be a companion of the man. God made the woman to be a wife, not a mother. A mother just happens to be a temporary relationship that God gives her for a few years to some children. The children marry and are called by God to leave their mother. Look at verse 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. The relationship of a woman to her children is a temporary relationship. It's not her primary purpose in life. And if you'll think this evening just practically with me, think of some people you know, think of your own situation, think of your own mother. Have you ever seen a couple that their relationship was beginning to break down? They weren't in love with... <laughs> Those words scary, but we'll come back to them. They weren't in love with each other any longer. And you know why I shudder at those words, and I'll define that before I end the evening. And they throw all their attention to the kids. It's as if mom and dad are simply rumors. They, they, they're roommates. You know, they room together. Mom's life is the kids, and I'll get dad in just a minute. He's got another mistress, too, hid away. But mom throws all of her attention into the kids. They show that they missed their calling. They don't realize the most important thing God's given them in life. You show me a woman who's the greatest mother in the world, but not a good wife, and she's going to destroy homes, including the homes of her children, because her children will not know how to be. Her daughters will not know how to be good wives, and her sons will not know how to be good husbands and what a good wife is all about, even though she's a great mother. Remember, they're going to imitate the way she lives, and if she's not a good wife, how will they have families of their own? Inordinate affection, as I'm defining it for this point, is attention given to the children even coming close to that given to the husband. It's, there's, there should be no competition between children and a husband because there's no comparison. God did not create the woman to be a mother and to give all of her attention to her children. God created the woman to be a help, not for children. Not for children. God created the woman to be a help, meet for the man. The man was not created for the woman, 1 Corinthians 11 tells us, but the woman was created for the man, not for children. When you read the Word of God, 
and you find the passages of Scripture that deal with parental training of children, what parent is mentioned most of all? Father. Father. And I know what can run through the minds of you women right at that moment. You think, but the men don't do it, so we've got to do it. And I pity you, that's true in most cases. But in God's way of things, the Father takes the instrumental role in training the children because that's God's ordained plan. The woman was not created for children. The woman was created for the man. And whenever you see a woman or you feel yourself giving more attention to your children than your husband, look at it carefully. It could be evidence that you've got a problem. Let me give you some examples to try to make myself plain. When a woman selects the menu for a meal, does she select it to please the children or to please her husband? I'm going to give you a, a pile here. Just think about it. And you know what I'm driving at? I'm driving at that woman that's always thinking of how she can please her kids. That isn't a good woman. She's Mr. Calling. Look at 1 Corinthians 7.34. 1 Corinthians 7.34. This is New Testament. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of her family, how she may please her children. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. You won't find a woman warned about the care of children, but you will find a woman warned about the care of her husband, how she can please her husband. I'm basing this on Genesis chapter 2. The woman was made for the man, not for children. The woman was made to be a wife, not a mother. A mother is a temporary relationship. That's like the man being created to be a citizen. Wait a minute. Being a citizen of a nation just happens to be one of his functions in society. He wasn't created for that. He was created to be the image and glory of God and to subdue this world and to have pleasure and joy in doing it. I've quoted 1 Corinthians 11.9 that says the man was not made for the woman but the woman for the man. And now I've showed you here 1 Corinthians 7.34 a woman is to care for the things of the world how she may please her husband. Practical illustration number one, when you women... Prepare a menu for a meal. Is it to please your children or your husband? Number two, uh, do you show the same degree of willingness for a special request by your husband as you do for a special request by your children? Such as a snack. You know, the child asks for a snack. The mother practically breaks her neck rushing to the kitchen to take care of the poor little brat while her husband sits in his office working away and it's been a year and two months and 12 days since she ever asked him if he wanted a snack. Now, I'm exaggerating to make the point. But mothers will rush here and there, bake cookies for the little kitties. What about baking cookies for the big kitty? Men like cookies, too. And guess what, women? You were created for him, not for your children. Physical affection. Ever watch? Just, just imagine in your mind the home that I'm talking about. The kids are sitting around the table eating. You know, the boys worked a hard day's work two hours after school. He comes home from his hard day's work. Mommy comes over, rubs his neck, rubs his shoulders, scratches his hair, tells him she's really proud of him for working so hard. Dad's come home from 14 hours. He's stretched out someplace trying to recover. I'm exaggerating, I know that, but I'm trying to make a point. Physical affection. How many times does this woman I'm talking about go show the same level of affection toward her husband? She's afraid to do it to him. He might expect something more. She knows little Johnny isn't going to do it. She's a baby and she's missing her calling. Women driving their kids here and there, willing to get up at any time in the morning to take them off to camp, pick them up in the evening, every night after football practice, drive and get Johnny. Her husband needs her to take her to some place where he can drop the car off and have it work done in the morning and all he gets is complaints and a groan 
and a roll of the eyes. The woman is always interested in what the kids are doing. Oh, she asks how their friends are doing at school. How'd they do on their test today? Have they made friends at school? Are they happy? They're asking questions, showing a lot of interest in all the things of the children. How many times they walk up to their husband and ask the same, with the same level of interest, the same number of questions, how's he doing at work? How's he getting along with so-and-so? What are his opportunities for advancement? What's the biggest problem he has right now in showing an interest in his job? How many women behave like that? You know what usually is the case. The children get more attention in these areas than the husband. There ought not even to be a contest. Because dad ought to be doing a lot of that toward his children, and mom ought to be giving it to dad. Thoughtful little surprises. You know, the kids take a lunch off to school. There's some little surprise inside. You know, maybe Hostess Twinkies when they're a family that's known for health food. You know, Mommy went to the store and got Hostess Twinkies. Well, does the old man ever get any Hostess Twinkies? Or does he get a tuna fish sandwich and some carrots and celery? And I'm, making, I'm trying to make some comparisons here. Thoughtful little surprises. Thoughtful little surprises. How many times does a woman do that for her husband? How about emotional support when they're discouraged? You know, the child comes in, he fell off his bicycle in front of the neighborhood children. Mommy takes him, puts a, knee, puts a band in his knee, kisses his knee, and oh, just makes all over him like it's the end of the world, giving him all the emotional support he needs to go back out and take on that task of riding his bicycle down the driveway. But the man comes home, and because of past treatment, he's even afraid to admit that he failed that day and was embarrassed that day, and his wife doesn't give him the emotional support that he needs. Any of you know what I'm talking about? Men need emotional support also. And that's why God created the woman. You find a woman like this, attack her children. Call her children lazy. Call her children stupid. Call her children misbehaved. You're putting your life in risk. Now sit down at tea with the same woman. Tell her she's got a bum for a husband. She'll talk for the next hour and a half about how he is such a bum. Love to run down the old man. Love to run down their husband. And oh, they'll defend their little kitties. What's happened? Something's been perverted. They've missed their calling and what God created the woman for. You know what it is? It's easier to love children than it is to love a man. That's an escape from their duty that God's given them. Children come home and they have a project. You know, a project's due for school the next day. You know, that's usually when your children tell you anyway, isn't it? <laughs> They were told at the beginning of the year, and they tell you in January it's due tomorrow. What does mommy do? She burns the midnight oil. Sometimes she doesn't even hit the sack, making sure that child has their project complete. When the man has a project at work that's going to require him to work all night, he, gets, he, ha he hears complaints that he's not coming home to eat supper with the family. She ought to make supper for the family and get in the car and go to his place of work and do some work for, for him as a secretary. Where and what happened? When did it change from God's plan for a family? Adjustments to please friends. If the children tell their mother, listen, Mom, you're just not cool anymore. If you could, you know, if you could get a punk hairdo, my friends would like you more. Listen, some moms will go out and do it. You look at some of these moms, they bop around in jeans and tennis shoes and try to act like teenagers, and they're 50 years old. And you, you wonder why. Because they're adjusting their personal preferences for appearance to please their kids and their kids' friends. But if their husband asks them to wear certain clothing or to take belly dancing or to have their hair done up a certain way, they complain, you beast. 
What do you want to do? Parade me around in front of your friends? What if he wants to? The child fails one of the commandments laid down in the home. Guess who will be quick to compromise that commandment to protect the child? If the husband fails in something that his wife expects from him, guess who will quickly make him pay? That woman. I've created a wide difference. I want you to think about the ones that are more subtle. Women, do you understand your calling in the Word of God is not to be a mother? That is a secondary, indirect, temporary calling of yours. Your primary calling and your purpose in this universe is to serve a man, your husband, not your children. Don't miss that calling. This is a recommendation for making marriages better. Women will meet their callings. Women who replace their husbands with children are in deep trouble when the children leave. Ever seen a family like that? I have before. The kids leave and the woman is absolutely without purpose in life. She's a frustrated, empty, lonely, struggling after the grandchildren, wanting the grandchildren every occasion she can get. Listen, a godly mother can't wait. <laughs> a godly woman can't wait in some respects for the day when she can say, bye-bye, and slam the door, and turn and have her husband alone in any room in the house and not have to worry about the kiddies. There should be, that is the purpose God created the woman. If that isn't the proper attitude, then what's a woman going to do from the age of 45 or 50 to when she's 80? Well, live for her grandchildren, the woman responds. Isn't that what they do? The women I'm talking about, that is a danger in marriage. And women, I'm coming, the coin's going to flip in about five minutes, and the men are going to get it on the other hand. But So think right now about your role. Why did God create you? It wasn't to be a mother, and don't let your children steal your affection from your husband. When marital problems arise, it's easy for women to find fulfillment in motherhood rather than in being a wife. How is it easier? They can avoid confrontation with their husbands. The bedroom, if it is still bedroom singular, is simply a place where they meet for sleep. And the husband and the wife are basically just roommates. And all of the attention is thrown on the children so they can avoid confrontation. When a husband and a wife are true companions, you can't exist with differences. The differences must be talked out and resolved. But if the children are her primary concern, she can live without resolving conflict. It's easier to seduce a child and win his affection than it is to win your husband's affection. So women will go after the easier bait. You know, little Johnny, little Timmy, little Margaret. I don't mean sexually, I mean win and obtain their attention and their affection and their loyalty. It's easier to do that with a child, so the mother will do that. Instead of realizing she has lost the affection of her husband and making the effort to win it back, because it's easier to get it back with chocolate chip cookies than it is doing what a wife is supposed to do for her husband. It's a way to hurt her husband. These women will shower so much attention on their children, the husband, is, the husband realizes it. He, he realizes he lost her affection and attention years ago, and now he sees it being poured in the children, and it crushes him further, and she many times knows what she's doing. She's saying to him, I know how to love. You just don't treat me well enough to get my attention. I'm just going to give it to our children. The demands her children make don't, cause, don't force her to swallow her pride. A child can ask her to work all night in a school project. You don't have to swallow pride to do that. But when a husband wants to resolve a conflict and you have to say you're sorry and get down on your knees and crawl before him and make up for wrongdoing in the past, that requires swallowing pride, and children won't make you do that. So women, when marital conflict arises, will find an escape in their children They'll still think of them as being noble because I'm such a great mother. 
God's laughing at your efforts because you're missing what he made you for. He made you to be a wife. Why do you think I spent 22 sermons trying to make our men fathers? The father is the main trainer and teacher and guide of the children. The woman is the companion of the man. That's what the Bible teaches. When that is not followed, we are headed for trouble in our marriages. These type of women will pour their emotions, their feelings, their heartthrob, their affection is in their children. Their physical affection is even shown toward their children. Oh, they love to hug and kiss the little kitties. But where are the hugs and the kisses for their husbands? You say, well, it's easier to kiss children. What is your problem, woman? Maybe you need some more hormones. That's pitiful. Their ambitions. Where's all the woman's ambitions and hopes and expectations are in what her children are going to amount to? Oh, Johnny's going to be a doctor. He got accepted into medical school. He's going to be a doctor, and she brags to everyone far and near about Johnny. While her husband has been working his backside off for 30 years. And she hardly ever gets excited about what he's accomplished. He may even be a surgeon, but she doesn't even see it because Johnny was accepted into medical, medical school where the whole bill is going to be paid by daddy. Anybody, any one of you know what I'm talking about this evening? I'm trying to be plain. God set an order for the woman. Wife, then mother. Wife and its related duties come first, then being a mother. Mother is a temporary responsibility. And some wives never have it because God doesn't even give them children. God didn't put women in this world for children. God put women in this world for men, their husbands. With a daughter, I'm afraid many women like this play out their fantasies of the carefree life they desire. They take a daughter, they primp her, they dress her, they spoil her, they live their lives, they live a fantasy life through their daughter. Oh, they wanted to be a cheerleader, they wanted to have boyfriends, they wanted to have lots of dates. And this woman, no love at home, she's not a real woman, she's a sick, warped, perverted creature, lives a fantasy life through her daughters. If this woman has sons, they pursue the affection and friendship from their son that they don't have any longer from their husband. And if you've ever been around one, you know what I'm talking about and you know that it's true. God made a very careful distinction and a very careful wording every time you find the woman's purpose described. It is for the man, not for children. That's the first rule, and that deals with women. Women, you've got to guard You've got to guard your affections, your attention that you give to your children. Is it replacing what you owe your husband? Do you understand that your priority when you wake up in the morning is the man beside you, not the children, getting them ready for school? You say, well, that's the first thing I have to do in the morning is get the children ready for school. Well, then get up earlier and think of something you can do for your husband. I'm talking about a change in priority for some. Some of you know how to manage it. Recommendation number two, men, you need to guard against your work, your careers, your jobs, your professional pursuits, replacing your wives. Men who emphasize their careers who are known far and wide as workaholics are often saying something a whole lot louder than the fact that they're diligent. They are saying, I have problems at home and I can't manage my woman. You find me a workaholic who wants to be out of the home working all the time and I'll find you a man who probably doesn't have a good relationship at home because there is no job, as good as a job may be, like a good woman. And if you think there's a comparison, you need some hormones too. Because if a wooden desk at the office can attract you as much as a woman, 
You've got problems. They're showing that they've missed the true riches in life that God gave to men. When Adam was in the Garden of Eden, God did not say it is not good for man to only have one job. I'll make him another so that he can stay busy. He said, I'll give him a woman. And yet you find men with one, two, three jobs working 60, 80, 100 hours a week. Why? Inordinate affection to your work is work and an extent of work and a devotion to business that causes you to neglect your marriage. Let me give you men some examples of what I'm talking about. Are you too tired to do much with your wife when you come home from a day's work? Are you worn out? Are you worn out so that the most you can accomplish is if you're civilized, you take a shower, then you fall in a chair and pick up the newspaper or turn the television on until it's time to go to sleep? Are you too tired for your wife? She wants to sit down and talk. You're exhausted. I've talked all day. Just leave me alone. I need some peace and quiet. You've worked too hard. Some days that's going to happen. You need some peace and quiet. And she should be intelligent enough to know that and give you some peace and quiet while she rubs your neck and scratches your hair. <laughs> Are you too tired? Are you too exhausted for your marital duties? Are you constantly postponing plans for your wife? You know, at some Saturday morning, in the fervor of excitement, you say to your wife, Honey, I want to take you on a second honeymoon. We're going to do it. We'll do it before the year's out. It's November when he says it. We'll do it before the year's out. About the second to the last week of December, she sweetly, submissively, tenderly, patiently asks him, where are we going so that I can take care of the kids and get prepared for it? Honey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I forgot about this project that was coming up. We'll do it next quarter. I promise you we'll do it next quarter. And I guarantee you to a workaholic, next quarter will take care of itself so that he won't do it next quarter. How do I know that? I'm smiling, but I'm not smiling. I had a mistress for eight years. And I guess it's been the last six weeks that I've had that precisely identified in my mind. And I'm going to make up for it. And I failed. But I know what it's like to constantly be postponing plans because I did it for eight years. If you're constantly postponing things that you should be and you've said to your wife, then you're too busy. Are you mentally preoccupied with business? The few times that I would take my wife out when the bank said I had to, and the bank did that. They told me I had to, and they paid for it. I'd take her out, and I would sit there with her across from me, some candlelight dinner someplace, with my mind, with my eyes, going right over the top of her head, chewing my food thinking about business, and I'm not saying it to be funny. She reached a point which hurt me more than anything where she didn't want to go out with me anymore because all I did was sit there and think about business. It's easy for me to get preoccupied with business. Is it easy for you to get preoccupied with business? Men will often find an escape from marital conflict in their jobs. Men will often find a temptation in their jobs where their jobs begin to satisfy them more than their wives and they miss God's best for their lives. Do you have a... These examples are bad. They're all hitting me hard. I wonder who gave them to me. Is there a priority on monies in your family that are set by business ambitions rather than by devotion and nourishing and cherishing for your wife? How are the monies in your home prioritized in, their, in spending? 
I know that one well also. This is the husband who, let me just try to think of some examples, hears of a course being offered at the local university, not the community college, but the university that will help him in his job. The poor woman doesn't have a dishwasher. She doesn't have a disposal. She doesn't have other conveniences that a woman could use well and be a more effective housewife. She's asked for them. He's told her, I want to get you that. And along comes this course that will promote his career. Listen, he can jump in that car so fast and drive down to that university and pay any enrollment fee. And if they offer him five books and say, you don't really need these, but you might want to have them, he'll buy all five. And he'll pay university bookstore rates. He'll pour out his money to pursue his career. And there's a place to pursue your career. But God didn't make men simply to work. God made men to enjoy the wives he gave them. All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, I think somebody has said. Single topic of conversation. Engage one of these men in a conversation. You're going to hear about their job. The poor woman every night. What does she hear about? The job. The job. The kids. Oh, the job. We're sick of the job. It's all they can talk about because that's all that's in their mind. Where do they show their great enthusiasm and interest? Oh, do they get excited when something new happens in the workplace? Oh, they come home and they're on fire. Something good happened at work. And they're excited, but they hardly ever show any excitement around the home. For the children, for the wife, for what's happening to the wife, it's their job. You can measure it by where their enthusiasm and interest lies. They'll pay any price for meeting professional approval. They'll do anything to please their master. They'll do anything to please their peers, but they'll do little to please their wives. Now it's time to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and hopefully you're still there, and verse 32. I would have you without carefulness. 1 Corinthians 7:32. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. Verse 33. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world how he may get ahead in his fast-track career. I do that to force you to look at the Word of God and to realize the point God is making, how he may please his wife. What is the great care Paul warns against here? Excessive care for one's wife, how he may please her, not for the job. A wife is to be cared for by a husband. He's to be giving his time toward that. Oh, you'll see men change their clothing, change their speech, change the car they drive, change their spending habits, change all sorts of things to please the men they work for. And their wife asks them, patiently, kindly, submissively, reverentially, to pick up your dirty clothes that you throw in the middle of the bedroom floor every night if she asks it like that, and he doesn't do it. But he'll do anything to meet the approval of his peers and colleagues in his place of employment. Time away from home. How much time are you away from your companion? God gave you a woman to be your companion. How much time are you away from her? You say, I see her on weekends. Those are all measurements of a man who's in love with the mistress called his job rather than his wife. Look at Deuteronomy 24.5. Deuteronomy 24.5, let me further confirm the importance of a man focusing his time, his attention, his efforts, his ambitions toward his wife and not just toward his place of employment. Yes, God made men to work. Yes, a man's job is important. Yes, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. But God also made priorities throughout the Word of God, and this verse gives us an indication of those priorities. 
Deuteronomy 24, 5. When a man hath taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war. Neither shall he be charged with any business. But he shall be free at home one year, and shall cheer up his wife, which he hath taken. Let's assume that this man was being married at the age of 18. Men who are falling into the pattern of loving their jobs more than their wives at 18 are emphasizing a college degree over anything else in life in our day. This verse says that when you marry a new wife, you are to be free at home to cheer up your wife. He doesn't want you making trips to New Jersey in a tractor trailer. He doesn't want you at school in Oklahoma taking a graduate course in bank administration. He wants you at home. I'll pick on me, myself, whenever I pick on you, brother. This shows a priority. Now, it doesn't say for the next 60 years of your married life, be, it free, be free at home to cheer up your wife. Hopefully, you do a good enough job in one year that she remembers it for a while. Some of you men would need help, though, doing that. We get out of practice, don't we? When a man hath taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war, neither shall he be charged with business. Those early formative years are what we call the fast track years, when if your career is going to get ahead, you have to be making every year count. This is the professional world I came from. Every year has to count significantly, because if at the age of 24, you are a year behind your peers, you are at a distinct disadvantage. You, most of you do not know the tremendous pressure put on young men to perform at a certain level. If they're in a position that requires a master's degree and they don't have it, when they finish their 24th year, they are looked down upon as being average. You're no longer fast-track. We're sorry. Somebody else has been pursuing things faster than you have. It's a tremendous pressure, but notice what God says in those formative years. Take not a month, not a week, this week honeymoon stuff. I mean, it's, it's a close, <laughs> close try at doing what God said. God said, take a year off. Doesn't that show you a priority? He doesn't say, work an extra year before you get married, which would be putting work first. He says, take a year off of work so that you can cheer up your wife. Now, I read that verse, and I just don't laugh about being at home a year to cheer up my wife. I look at that verse, and I say, God's establishing priority here. Military service and business is second to a man that's married. Men who go fight in wars ought not to be married from this text. Men that have wives ought not to let their jobs interfere with being a good husband. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 9. Live joyfully with thy employer who has given thee raises every year. All the Live joyfully with thy wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity. Notice the importance here. See, children are just a little segment of our lives. Our wives are forever, all the days of the life of thy vanity. Listen, I'm praying to be 80. She's going to have me around for a while. I'm going to have her around for a while. This is a relationship we need to work at, and it needs to have a priority. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity. For that is thy portion in this life. What is our portion in this life, men? The wife that God has given us. And in thy labor, which thou takest under the sun. Is labor the end of our lives? Or is labor the means to support our wives? I, I'm, I played on two words there, means and end. Is, uh, is, our, is our job the end of our lives? 
by end I mean the purpose for our life? No way. What is the main purpose under the sun in this life of vanity that God joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity? That's what God's given us under the sun. For that is thy portion in this life, having a wife that we love from our youth. That is our portion. And it is our portion in thy labor, which thou takest under the sun. What makes labor all worthwhile? Coming home and sharing that labor with our wives. She is our companion. And our labor is simply a means to support our wives and ourselves. It is not the end of life. God did not create jobs and then create women to support men to be workaholics. God created women for men for a companionship and a job to support both of them. Important difference. When marital conflict occurs, where do men go to hide? At the job. What would Solomon call the job? In Proverbs 19.13. Corner of the housetop. Proverbs 19.13. This is just to set the stage. A foolish son is the calamity of his father. And the contentions of a wife are a continual dropping. It's like the Chinese torture. Making you listen to the, dropping, the dripping water until you go insane. A wife can do it in half the time. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 9. It is better to dwell in a corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. You see these homes, these middle-aged executives, beautiful homes in beautiful subdivisions. You know the mother, you, you observe her at all. Her whole life is wrapped up in her children. Dad, why, he's a, he's a senior manager at such and such a firm. He comes home about 10 o'clock every evening and leaves at 5 o'clock in the morning. He's often out on weekends traveling for his business. You wonder, what kind of a life are they living? Do you know how often a family is like that in America? What kind of a life are they living? Why do they live that way? I'll tell you why. Their marriage isn't very good at home. She's replaced her husband with the children. He's replaced his wife with a job. You know, oh, there's so many reasons for it. Listen, the secretaries at work treat him better than his wife ever treated him. That's true 90% of the time. How many women dress up as well as the secretary in an office for their husbands? Simply for their husbands. How many women bring their husband a cup of coffee whenever the previous one was emptied? All day long. You say, but she's doing it for pay. And I'll say, yes, but she's his wife. Men get treated better by their secretaries at work than they do by their wives at home, in most cases. And I wonder why there's so much adultery and office and affairs, that's called adultery in 20th century euphemisms, among men and their secretaries, because they're treated better. Listen, the woman's looking her absolute best every day of the week. Every time he sees her, she's dressed to the hilt, usually she treats him with a great deal of respect and kindness. Usually, secretaries are more open with their bosses than they are with their husbands. Proverbs 21.9. It's better, Solomon said, if you've got a brawling woman to spend your time in the corner of a housetop. Verse 19. It is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and an angry woman. And when a man hasn't controlled his wife and he's got marital conflicts at home, he goes to the job where he can find some peace of mind. I mentioned this before. Women will, women will beat their husbands. Some of you were, came to me after that sermon. Some women describing their husbands. Some men describing their wives when they were first married. And how quickly a woman can crush a man's spirit to where he wants to be at work and not be at home. Because that's the only place he can find some peace and quiet. That's the only place he can find some gratification. That's the only place he can find some praise and reward. Because at the job, he gets promoted. At the job, people tell him he does a good job. On the job, 
Secretary takes good care of him. At least he's wanted there. No one wants him at home. He's beat. And then we have the cycle beginning. The man starts giving all his time to the job, and the marriage gets worse. As the marriage gets worse, he feels more and more alienated from his wife and family, and he throws himself more and more into his job. This is America in the 20th century. What two temperament types are most susceptible to hiding from marital conflict at home by burying themselves in their work? Phlegmatics and melancholies. And you put the two of them together, and you've got trouble if there's any trouble at home. Fear of confrontation and fear of tension and a hatred for tension is so great, they want to stay away from it at all costs. Escape is worth any price. Just to get away from a tense situation where you've got a strong-willed woman that drives you up the wall. You know the best thing in the world would be to put her across the bed and whip her, but you're afraid to do it. Because you know that's what she needs. She drives you up the wall, and the phlegmatic melancholy couldn't even say those words. He's probably cringing to hear them said. So what does he do? He runs off to the workshop. He goes out to the garage. He buys a wood lathe. He starts building things. Anything to get out of the house. He works as many hours as he can. He takes additional assignments simply to stay away from that woman. A workaholic is often a man crushed by his wife but edified by his work. He finds some satisfaction and fulfillment for life in what he's able to achieve on the job. They pour their emotions, their physical efforts, and their ambitions into their job, and they take those things away from their wives. Men, guard yourselves against replacing your wife and your family duties with a job. As I've tried to emphasize, and I know this is not something I've believed all my life, a job is simply to put peanut butter in the refrigerator. And saying it that way to me helps. A job is simply the means to get peanut butter in your refrigerator. Do a good job of it. Buy the best, whatever that might be. But don't let it become the end all of your life. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest, with the wife of thy youth whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity. That is thy portion under the sun. That is the order God has set for you, wife first, then job. Ever known any men like that? Their excitement, their time, their efforts are spent in their job and you don't see the same level of commitment to their wives. Let's, men, let's make sure our wives are first and jobs second. Women, make sure your husbands are first and your children second. What is discretion? Discretion is the better part of valor. I'm going to show some for a change. I only covered two points this evening. The other one is too lengthy for me to get into at this time. We have, in America, the easy opportunity for jobs to replace wives for men. As long as we lived in an agricultural society, it wasn't quite as easy because he was still at home. Now, he could spend all the, he could plow the field three times instead of twice if he needed to stay out there away from his wife. But in America, we have jobs that are sold as the end for our existence. Most farmers knew that pulling a plow behind the swishing tail of a horse was not much of a calling as far as to dedicate your life to it. But when you go to college and you go to graduate school, and you're hired as one of these fast-track young guys in some job, and it's being sold at this job, and you getting ahead, and you getting someplace next year, and you getting that promotion, and this cycle begins where the job becomes your aim in life. And all of a sudden, you're trapped by that love of power, the love of advancement, the love of money. You're trapped by it. And it's called the deceitfulness of riches in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And verse 9, let me warn you of a 
statement that's made there. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. How do men drown because of the love of a job? One way is they break up their homes by having an, an inordinate affection, lust, for the job and what it can give them instead of their wives. How do you allocate your time? Are you able to cut off a work day at the end of the day and sometimes say no to your master? I have tried to preach diligently to make all of you men hardworking men, which means hardly ever saying no to your master, haven't I? If your master asks you to do something, yes, sir. You know, and you give him the salute, whatever salute it may be. But there's a point. If you're going to practice Bible priorities, guess what you have to do? Say yes to your wife, that is, your care of your wife, and say no to your master. Because guess who's more important? Your wife and not your master. I've emphasized working hard. I had to emphasize that for a reason. I think it was obvious to anyone that was a member of this congregation four years ago. That needed to be emphasized. But we can't run to the extreme of being so dedicated to our masters we forget our wives. The priority has to be wives first and then our jobs. Are you mentally preoccupied at home? I've watched some of you become mentally preoccupied. Guard against it. Listen, I know what it's like. I can see it on your faces. I can see it when you sit there or when you stand there and talk to me. I know it because I did it for too long. And I get concerned when I see it happening. And when I see your pride in your job, which I love to see, a job that a man loves is a great blessing, a tremendous blessing. But don't let that pride in your job become so great that it chokes out your pride in your wife and taking good care of her and cheering her up. You say, but I enjoy my job more than my wife. That's your problem. You either need hormones, and I don't think that's the first solution. The first solution is to look at how God created your wife and what he created her for and what you've let creep in between you and her to destroy that relationship of companionship that should always be able to whip a tractor-trailer cab, should always be able to whip an office with a wooden desk, should always be able to whip pipe in the back room for liquid dispensing, should always be able to whip marble countertops, should always be able to whip an alternator, A wife should be able to whip all those things. If it doesn't, then you've got a problem that's even deeper, and you need to go after it. Maybe you've simply let your job so seduce you, you don't recognize the difference anymore. And you need just to pull back and rekindle the relationship you have with your wife. Maybe it's time to stop postponing and have that second honeymoon and get reacquainted again. This point, men isn't simply important for you to think about your own life and wonder, do I have my priorities straight? It's also important for you to think about it for your brothers. Let's watch each other. As we see some man getting carried away with his job and telling us about his job all the time, let's remind him of, of the, a few of the things we have considered together this evening and provoke one another to love and to good works. And the good work will be loving, nourishing, and cherishing his wife rather than nourishing and cherishing his job so much. Women, it's not so much as you simply consider for yourself, do I love my husband? Do I give him more attention than I do my children? It's also something we need to look out among the congregation and make sure that we see in all the women an affection and a level of attention and devotion to their husbands that exceeds what they show to their children. It shouldn't be a comparison. One is far superior to the other. God ordained it that way. And let's make sure that we practice it. In looking at the Word of God, there isn't a chapter in the Bible that starts listing problem number one in most marriages is this. Problem number two is this. We have to look at the principles the Word of God gives and draw from them. And it's not easy work to do, but they are there. When God is so clear to say that women were created for their husbands, to be a wife, 
to be a help meet for him. God did not create the woman to be meat for children. He created the woman to be meat for a man. That's a principle that we should draw from. And when we see that men ought to lay aside business ambitions to cheer up their wives, we see another principle. And it's all summarized by Paul when he says that married people, men and women, care for the things of this world how they may please, not children and not masters. Husbands and wives. I'm going to close early tonight, earlier than usual. May God bless us to look at our own lives, look at the lives of those around us and provoke each other to maintaining God's priority in our marriages.